Welcome to the CEC report. It's the 27th of April. I'm Robert Barwick and I'm joined today by CEC leader Craig Isherwood. Welcome, Craig. Yeah, thanks, Robbie. In this week's CEC report, Royal Commission proves Australia's banks are heading for a crash and any cyber attack will be British, not Russian. Craig, before we begin, just put in a plug for the Australian Alert Service. Um, uh, regular viewers of the show know that sometimes by the end we're rushing things a bit yeah. and because we, we have to talk to a time limit, it's a pretty strict one, uh, because this show goes on television. So just to remind people, what we discuss on the CEC report is elaborated in the, our weekly magazine, the Australian Alert Service. So right. anything we discuss, call in, that you want to know more information about, call in on our toll-free number and get yourself a free copy of this. Right? It's very important and you can get it regularly if you so choose. Um, so... That said, let's talk about what's happening this week. Royal Commission proves Australia's banks heading for a crash. And this is getting more and more dramatic, Craig, what's happening. We'll, we'll play some videos. I in think they've completely underestimated, again, Robbie, what happens when a Royal Commission takes place and gets handled by the people. Because, I mean, the yep. Royal Commissioner, Mr. Hames, and the number of the prosecuting... Rowena Orr, shock and awe. Shock and awe, as they said. I mean, they're doing a fantastic job of, you could say, getting between the cracks of the, the uh, terms of reference. That's because right. Because the That's terms right. of reference with the Royal Commission are designed to try and constrain, constrain things because there's enormous political uh, damage that can be done. And this is what's happening. You know, Turnbull had to come out and defend himself this week, saying, we, you know, why didn't we have a Royal Commission earlier? And he said, oh, well, this, this, and this. And he was showing up for what he is, a protector of the, the banks. banks. And the, the, the viewers by now will have recognised this, this has really blown up in their face. And Craig, it's one of the reasons what we cover in the lead article in this week's alert, because um, as we know, um, our policy to address all this is, is Glass-Steagall, and we can talk about that in a more, bit later as well. But um, Glass-Steagall was introduced in the United States in the Glass-Steagall Act in 1933 after an inquiry into the banks exposed them as criminal enterprises. Yeah, the Pecora right? Commission, yeah. And this is shaping up in Australia likewise. Um, unlike in, the, say, the United States and the United Kingdom since the crash, where there was no inquiry into the banks, and Glass-Steagall nearly got up, but the banks were able to, able to wiggle out of it because they still had influence over politicians, the, the, the power of the banks is being shattered in front of our eyes. And people, ordinary people, they, one of the things we keep trying to have to you know, lift people up to understand, Craig, is we are many, they are few, but ordinary people tend to think, oh, you know, the, the system is so all-powerful. Don't think that. Nothing is all-powerful. Yes, it's powerful, but nothing is all-powerful. And we are watching an extraordinary stripping away of the power of banks in Australia. But we, it'll only happen if we take advantage of that. Mm. Right? So anyway, let's look at yep. the latest in terms of some predicates and we can discuss the campaign. Um, yesterday, so this, we're, we're recording this on Friday the 27th of April. So on the 26th of April, the bank stocks crashed. And they, they crashed because of what was coming out of the Royal Commission. But... APRA, the regulator, immediately rode to the rescue and it actually showed up why we're saying APRA must be investigated. So what happened was UBS, the big international Swiss investment bank, they have a, their, their branch in Australia has an, an analytical unit headed up by this guy, Jonathan Mott. And they have done some very good work on analysing the mortgage bubble in Australia. And so this is the unit that, that came out with a warning recently about the $500 billion in liar loans, right? So this guy does a lot, this Jonathan Mott and his team do a lot of analysis of the, of the mortgage bubble. Um, so, Robbie, these are the $500 billion of loans because basically the paperwork was fraudulent. Fraudulent. And 
basically this is why they're called liar loans. That's right. These were uh, loans issued on yes. mortgages that the people could really shouldn't have qualified for, right? And it's yeah. a big problem in our system. Westpac had to hand over to the Royal Commission documentation relating to 420 of its loans, and Jonathan Mott's crew was able to look at that data and come to the conclusion, oh my God, it's worse than we thought. The, the, the de indebtedness of these um, customers was worse than they had expected, right? On the basis of that, he put out a statement calling into question 70% of Westpac's loans, mortgage loans, 70%. And he advised a sell on Westpac shares, which is why um, Westpac then tanked in the market. Um, now, Westpac rubbished this analysis, Craig, and said, no, 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 that's all rubbish. Look, the proof that it's rubbish is we get so few defaults. Well, one, the first answer to that is, we're at record low interest rates, and they're making they're, they're finding ways to 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 uh, they, 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 to uh, take the pressure off their customers all the time because they're afraid of defaults, not because they want to be nice to their customers. That's one thing. Two, though, the, the main reason we have record low defaults in Australia compared to other countries is we have full recourse loans, which means if you are indebted to the bank and you can't pay, you owe the bank for the rest of your life. Right? Unlike the United States, etc. I want to play a video. Can't just post the keys back to the bank. That's right. Bob Catter, yeah. the Member for Parliament who's going to introduce the Glass-Steagall Bill, he's been highlighting this like we have for a long time. I just want to pay you, play you a quick video of him in Parliament last year when he introduced the Private Members Bill for the Royal Commission. He highlighted this factor of Australia's banking system. Have a look. Mr. Acting Speaker, the Australian newspaper, the Sunday edition, no less, the week before last, had the entire front page taken up with what, quite frankly, is the imminent collapse of banking in Australia, Mr Acting Speaker. Nearly a third of Australia's population lives in good old NSW, Newcastle, Sydney and Wollongong. Nearly a third of the Australian population. In Sydney, the average price of a house is over 900000 and the average for the area is well over 750000 That means the repayments are in the order of 35000 and the interest is in the order of 30000 and the annual charges are in the rel relevancy of about 5000 So it's $70,000 they've got to find if they want to buy a house. Well, the average income, the average weekly income, is $72,000. 50000 after tax. So even if the husband and wife is working, their situation is perilous. Perilous, Mr Acting Speaker. And what are the banks going to do? Now, they got through the GFC not because of the prudential responsibility. I mean, lending people 900000 for a house is hardly prudentially responsible. It was non-recourse lending. That was the issue. They have recourse lending here in Australia. They've been able to control this parliament up to date, up to date, because of this <clears throat> enabled deliver. What it means, Mr Acting Speaker, is that if you can't make the repayments in the United States and most of the rest of the world, the bank can take the house. Invariably, they'll lose money, some money, and of course the person himself loses the house. So they share the responsibility of having made a bad contract. In Australia there's no sharing of responsibility 
the bank gets the house and gets you as a debt slave for the rest of your life. You carry that debt for the rest of your days and you will have no hope of carrying it out. If you couldn't keep the repayments up on the house, you will have no way you're going to be able to repay a debt of $100,000 or $200,000 that is outstanding. And when the bank finishes you off, they put a whole lot of extra hits in, Mr Acting Speaker. So, Craig, as you can see there, Bob Catter actually has a very good handle on the, 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 the essence of the banking system yeah, in Australia and the property bubble, right? Yeah. And this part of it is a big part of it, and it's why it's the only thing that has stood between the banks and a full-blown crash even in 2008, but it can't last forever. The burden that's piling up in Australians is getting too much. Um, I want to make this point, though. A few weeks ago, we interviewed on this show Denise Braley of the Banking and Finance Consumers Support Association. She's the president and founder of it. She said on our show that in her estimation, 80% of bank loans are subprime or, or dodgy, right? Mm. So for Jonathan Mott's UBS, with all its resources, they have finally caught up to something that Denise Braley uniquely, whose only resources is her, the tireless work she's done on behalf of thousands of bank victims, right? She figured this out a long time ago. And go back and watch that, that interview if you, if you um, want to see it. Essentially, here's the bottom line here. The Royal Commission is proving that the way the banks have been making their huge profits, it's the profits they've been making that have made the whole country and the whole world think they're the strongest banks in the world. But the way they've been making those profits is a rotten system, right? It's mm -hmm. based on fraud, it's based on criminality, etc. And it's a house of cards that's going to come crashing down and we have to be able to address that. Let's take a quick break and continue this afterwards. Welcome back to the CEC Report, where we're discussing Royal Commission proves Australia's banks heading for a crash. Now, Craig, we just talked about how UBS put out this analysis about Westpac and the bank's stocks crash yesterday. Well, on cue, and I suspect, I, I was trying to confirm it, but I'm pretty sure UBS's analysis would have come out first. APRA, the bank regulator, made a stunning announcement yesterday. They said that there's a restriction or a cap that they'd put on bank lending to investors of 10% the cap was the growth in that lending to investors couldn't be more than 10% a year. They said suddenly we're lifting that cap now. It served its purpose. Yeah, it shrunk all the investment. Exactly. Investment loans, yeah. Well, that, 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 that's their claim. But, of course, if you're, a, if you're a property buyer in Australia, what you know is that you're like a home buyer, you want to buy it for a home, everybody knows what they've been up against for too long is this horde of investors, right, that have been highly leveraged, yeah, they're the bulk of the dodgy loans, the, the dodgy liar loans, right? And they're the ones that have been driving up the property prices. This is a naked attempt by APRA to get the property prices that are starting to cool down in Sydney and that back up again, right? Yeah. And APRA has done this every time. APRA started the property bubble by incentivising the banks with its macro prudential policies. And it has, every time it started to wobble, APRA has come in with some little um, lever twist like this to inflate more air into it then, right? And this proves why we've been saying the Royal Commission must look at APRA and its macro prudential policies. But I want to we'll put a tweet up on the board here, on the, on the screen. On the 13th of April, the Bank for International Settlement sent out a tweet which explained, actually, they didn't make the connection, but I did, why when Malcolm Turnbull set up these terms of reference that you talked about, APRA's macro-prudential policies were excluded. The, the Royal Commission's not allowed to touch them. And the tweet said, um, 
The global financial crisis and its spillovers led to greater use of macroprudential policies and capital flow management. But to ensure global financial stability, those policies need international coordination. And that's the key. This is the international banking dictatorship that we talk about. APRA is a, is a subsidiary, a de facto subsidiary of the Bank for International Settlements, right? And its job is to make sure Australia's banks are stable so that the property, if the property bubble cannot blow up here, blow up our banks and trigger potentially a global banking crisis. Robbie, what people don't realise is that APRA is charged with two things. First of all, to protect the financial stability of the system, a.k.a. protect the banks. Yep. It's also charged with protecting people's deposits. Protecting depositors. Depositors, yes. But the problem with that is, as we've seen with our recent campaign against APRA to exclude deposits, deposits from depositors, from any sort of bail-in, the government railroaded the legislation through. Yep. So those amendments to exclude deposits were never allowed to get up. So APRA now has got enormous power to, in effect, de facto bail-in. Now, the government wasn't going to give you know, APRA direct power to bail-in deposits, but because it has not excluded deposits from the legislation it's been pushed through, APRA now has that power. And look, when you get into a global financial crisis, which is coming, Mark II, then APRA will grab whatever tools it can yes. in the name of financial stability and things like grabbing people's deposits right, will be seen in the context of financial stability and not in the interest of and if they the think, depositors. And if they think APRA has any care about ordinary Australians, know this, APRA has watched the banks commit these crimes. It's their supervisor. Yes. But it didn't mind because those crimes contributed to the bank's profitability, which contributed to their stability, yep. right? That's, that's the issue here. Now, Craig, a couple of things quickly. Um, we're going to show a video. Uh, we went to the Royal Commission this week. We're out there every day. I, in, I interviewed Dr Peter Branson of Bank Reform Now, and just I'll, we'll just play that interview, and then we'll talk about it. Hi, it's Robert Barwick reporting for the CEC report from outside the Banking Royal Commission hearings in Melbourne at the law courts here. Sorry about the noise. I'm joined by Dr. Peter Branson of Bank Reform Now. Hello, Peter. G'day, Robbie. How you going? Good. Thanks for coming. That's all right. Are you enjoying foggy Melbourne? It's not as foggy <laughs> as I was worried about. It's pretty good. Actually, the weather's been very good. It is excellent, <laughs> isn't it? Beautiful. Um, what we've seen in the last week of hearings of the Royal Commission has been absolutely explosive, as all the viewers will recognise. Last week, the issue became breaking up the banks. Everybody recognised that. We have to break up the banks. Now, as you know, the CEC has put up a, a bill to do it, which Bob Catter, the member for Kennedy, has agreed to introduce. For some reason, all the media is reporting on the Royal Commission, but they haven't touched that question of that there's an actual Glass-Steagall bill to break up the banks that it's going to be introduced in Parliament. So we're going to have to get their attention and make sure they start reporting that. But I wanted to talk to Peter because there's some other things in the media coverage of this Royal Commission that, to be frank, is pathetic. And one of the things I've heard in the last few days is, boy, we had no idea that these were the kinds of things banks were up to. Now, Peter, you founded a, a bank reform movement called Bank Reform Now. Just tell the viewers how long your case against the banks have been going. Right. Look, the thing is this. It's not about me, but I'll briefly mention what, this, what my story was. 2004, NAB gave a, an unconscionable loan to a member of my family. No hope of repaying it. And obviously the consequences flowed on from there. It was a nightmare. But 2004... So that's I, 14 years ago. 14 years. Now, I tried to sort it out with NAB. They didn't play ball. 
I told NAB in, in 2013 that I'm going to mount a campaign. I've mounted the campaign, bank reform now. It's all coming to a head now with the Royal Commission and the timing is perfect. And finally, people are starting to see what's going on. And don't let Turnbull or any of his ministers fool you. They've known all along what's been going on. We told them multiple times. They've got email baskets full yeah, of emails yeah. from victims. Yeah. It's a charade what and they're you've doing. Got, with your group, Bank Reform Now, you've got hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of people involved in it. We've got thousands, we've got thousands, thousands. of people on it. We've got, we've got uh, over 12,000 on our Facebook page. Yeah. And uh, it's growing all the time. But the, but and that's been going five years. That's been going, yes, it's five years. Yeah. Five years. So this, this, this claim that the, the media is saying, oh, no one knew this was going to be the case, it's obviously a farce. Now, you've expressed to me your lack of confidence in the government actually doing something about this, and so you've launched an initiative yourself for your organisation right. today, or yesterday, I believe. That's right. Just, to, just explain what that is. We launched the Big Bank Bang. It's a, it's a boycott of CBA. The idea is that we, we target one bank at a time. If people take mass action in this way, it'll hurt the bank where, where the only way that counts. They're only worried about their brand and they're only worried about their bottom line. And the thing is this, the, the bank reform, the, bank, the Royal Commission has given us a great opportunity, but it's only scratched the surface. What's, what's more horrifying is what hasn't been revealed yet. Yeah. There's much more. And the thing is, the Royal Commission's terms are limited. The duration was limited. Turnbull wanted it limited, and he wanted it uh, with hands tied behind its back. We're not going to cop it. So we, we're not going to. We don't want Turnbull to fix it. We don't want the, the politicians to fix it. We don't want the Royal Commission. The people have to take responsibility, and they can take responsibility by, by joining in campaigns like this. Now, as you know, Peter, the CEC is the champions in Australia of the idea of a Glass-Steagall separation of banks where the vertical integration of banks is broken up. You um, understand how that kind of structure can protect bank customers going forward? Exactly right. It's a great idea. It's, it's long overdue. It was, a, it was a travesty that it was re re repealed by Bill Clinton under suspicious circumstances, very suspicious circumstances. But the thing is, that's just another example. You can't trust the politicians to bring the banks into line. It's got to be a people-powered right. movement. CEC is doing a great job, BRN's doing a great job, and we, we like the support. We like Both of us would like the support of more people. Well, that's absolutely true. The only time politicians are honest, in our experience, is when they're afraid of their constituents. The politicians right now are being embarrassed into action. That's The only reason they're taking this action is because it's become so public and the, the revelations are so horrific, and there's much more to come. All right. Well, Peter, thanks very much for joining us today. Welcome again to Melbourne, like I said. Enjoy the rest of your day. And that's it from the uh, Banking Royal Commission hearings in Melbourne for the CEC report. Now, Robbie, we can't give up in organising and getting Glass-Steagall passed in the Parliament. We've launched a petition called Pass Australian Glass-Steagall Bill to Break Up the Banks, which people can search on change.org. People need to get involved because the issue is changing the laws to be able to yeah. protect ourselves. Not, not, just, not, just, not, not just, just consumer sort of boycotts, etc. I understand people being desperate for that. Every time people sign that petition online, by the way, Craig, an email goes to members of parliament. So Which make is sure very you do important. That. All right, we'll take another break. Welcome back to the CEC report. Finally, any cyber attack 
will be British, not Russian. Mm -hmm. And Craig, last week, Malcolm Turnbull goes over to London for the Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting, Chogham. Um, and we might be able to find the footage, but you can see the Theresa May, the Prime Minister of Australia, the Prime Minister of New Zealand and the Prime Minister of Canada, all four in a row. And they are four of the five, what that's, what's called the five eyes, with the other partner being America. And this is an intelligence sharing operation where by virtue of that, suddenly Malcolm Turnbull had this inside information that Russia is behind every computer glitch you've ever had. Right? That's that, their active cyber that's, warfare. That's, that's when it's not China. That's when it's not. That's right. That's when it's not China. Um, like China was to blame for the census debacle last year, which of course it wasn't. And when it, they announced it wasn't, it was a very quiet announcement. But anyway, now it's Russia, 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 Russia. This stuff is coming from GCHQ, Government Communication Headquarters. It's, it's Britain's most secretive intelligence agency. What we can't deal with it all in the time of God, but this week in our alert service. We expose the whole agenda here in a two-page article. British intelligence is preparing a cyber attack on the UK to be blamed on Russia. And essentially what you've got is this British intelligence has no credibility whatsoever. Right? Um, this has been their history. They have been, uh, they've long orchestrated events, including terrorist attacks, for a political agenda. Right? Yep. Um, whether that be extra powers for the government in the name of anti-terrorism or triggering a war or whatever. In this case, the British have, they have a particular agenda where cyber attacks can be a very useful way to escalate against Russia. Britain has been pushing for a number of years for NATO's charter to be changed so that cyber attacks, Craig, can be included in the list of things that can trigger the invocation of Article 5. Now, Article 5 of NATO's charter says that if one NATO member is attacked, they're all attacked and they all join them for war to respond. It's a military thing, right? It means NATO goes to war. They want to use cyber attacks to trigger that. Now, the thing with cyber attacks is they can be easily faked. And the public, unlike what's happening in Syria at the moment, for instance, where chemical weapons inspectors have gone in there and They've all informally admitted, they haven't put out a formal statement yet, but they have found nothing, right? And so eventually those kind of claims can be disproven. This is much harder. You've got to be a technical yep. computer expert, etc. So this is very, very um, dangerous, and it's potentially the most dangerous escalation of war. And the, the issue is, Craig, with what's happening in Syria and all those, the claims Britain keeps making keep falling apart. How seriously should we take their intention to do something like this? Well, Robbie, the global financial crisis is the, the hub of this issue, right? And they know that the City of London, Wall Street, they're sitting on the biggest debt bubble, speculative bubble in history, never been dealt with. So what's got to happen is you've got to get more controls to control ordinary people. Yeah. Because that way you can make sure if that... If you're you the regime in, and the system falls you apart, you need bring those in martial law and sorts of fascist police controls. And we've talked about this in many of our publications over the years that the government uses this type of lawmaking, this type of uh, intelligence operations to control ordinary people, first and foremost. And the other thing with Russia, you have to bear in mind that Donald Trump, when he came in, had the intention of wanting to collaborate with Russia. So you had two superpowers that, for goodness sake, could end up collaborating for peace. Yeah. That's the last thing the British have wanted. They've started many wars around the place on, yeah. on false information. Yeah. And that... that sort of isolates Donald Trump's intention, which is very dangerous. Yep. All right, so thanks, Craig, again. We've run out of time for thanks, this Robert. week's CUC report. Thanks for tuning in. Remember, call in and get a copy of the alert service. Tune in next week for more.